Today is week two in our sermon series called A Good Word. And uh, we are back, as you, as you found out last week, we're back in the book of Philippians. We've, over the last year, we have uh, jumped in and out of Philippians. So normally it would go, we'd go chapter one and then we would move into a few other places. Then we'd go back and do chapter two and we'd come back. And I'll be honest with you, this has been a great season for me in this book. I have really enjoyed being in the book of Philippians. It's not a very long book, so I think sometimes my tendency, and maybe if you're like me, is to kind of start in there and just kind of read it. And you'd be like, man, I read the whole book. This is awesome. I did it in 45 minutes. That's amazing. <laughs> sometimes it takes a little bit longer for me. I don't know about you, for a little bit longer for me to have things sink in and to learn what God is trying to say to me. Um, and as I was thinking about this this morning, you know, we call this book is the Bible. Inside of this book, it is a collection of 66 other books. But really, when you think about it, it may be a book to us, but Philippians is a letter. It was a letter. It's not meant to be an instructional text for people, although we use it that way. This was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. It was written as a letter from a spiritual father to his spiritual children, right? So when we read the letters in the New Testament and we read Paul's exhortation, his encouragement, his rebuke, his correcting, He's speaking to a people. He's writing from a position of love, from a heart that has great concern for God's church. He is writing this letter to these people because he loves them. And why does he love them? He loves them because they are the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the thing that the Apostle Paul loves more than anything. The title to the sermon today is called The Secret of Life. You're excited now, right? You're going to get to find out the secret of life. In the verses we're going to look at today, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul sharing this secret with his family. This very, very, very important secret with the people of God. And the secret is going to impact the way that we lived our lives, just like hopefully it impacted the way that they lived their lives. And it's going to be a profound thing that Paul writes in the verses that we're going to look at today. As I thought about the title of the sermon, Secret to Life, it struck me that there are really two kinds of secrets. There are secrets that are meant to be kept, and then there are secrets that are meant to be shared, right? Now, the secrets that are meant to be kept can be good secrets, but quite often they are not, right? This is, hey, uh, I look at my son sometimes and I go, don't tell your mother I did that. It's a secret between us, right? It's probably not good parenting, but hey, what do you do? And then there are secrets that are meant to be shared, and these are the very best kinds of secrets, right? These are the ones that are just meant for a really select group of people. They are, they are secrets that usually improve on our lives or improve on things that needed to get better, right? I'll give you an example. Um, how many of you have family uh, recipes? Family recipes that were passed down. Okay, great. So what you had is you had somebody somewhere way back decided they were going to learn to make buttermilk pie or chili or whatever they're going to do, right? And they started working on this recipe, and they tweaked it, and they changed it, and they added a little bit of this and a little bit of that as they made it and made it and made it until they got it just perfect. And that, for some of us, that might have been great, 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 great grandma, whoever it was, right? And then over the years, they passed that secret down from family member to family member to family member to where you get it now. So in my family, my grandmother taught my mother, who taught me, to make the world's greatest chicken and dumplings. So here's what I'm going to tell you before you say anything. I know you're in your head, you're going, mine are better. They're not. They're just not. It's okay. 
Walk in confidence in second place. There's no shame in that. Mine are the best. I'm not going to tell you how to make them because they're a family secret. You see, the thing about family secrets is they're meant to be shared only with the family, right? We don't tell people outside of the family how to make the best chicken and dumplings in the world. Why? Because then you would know how to make them and mine wouldn't be the best and I'd be a liar. So we can't have that. These are secrets that are meant to be shared, but they're meant to be shared with the family. And I think that's what we're going to see today is we're going to see Paul sharing a family secret with the people that he loves so very much that make up the church of Jesus Christ. He's going to give them one of the greatest secrets, I think, in the Christian faith. A secret that frees them up to live the life that God has called them to. And it's a secret that's going to free us up if we grab a hold of it to live the life that God has called us to live the way he has called us to live it. So if you've got your Bible or your device or whatever, however you use the Bible nowadays, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Philippians 4, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. And when we find those verses, what do we say? You guys are so good. I don't even have to prompt you anymore. You know it. We are getting there, people. We are getting there. This is what the Word of God says. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, some of the most famous verses in all the Bible, especially Philippians 4.13, right? If I asked how many of you had a coffee cup with that verse on it, there'd be some hands that would shoot up in this room right now. This is one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time today talking about the idea of contentment and what that means, what that is, and how do we find it. But the first thing I want you to see here is, and this is the very first point, and we're going to jump right in, and it's this, Christian community is a gift from God. This is what Paul shows us in the very first verse, verse 10. Christian community is a gift from God. You know, the overarching theme of the entire letter of Philippians is joy. Joy. You cannot read one, you can't, you can't read one chapter or rarely one verse without the idea of joy in the Lord exuding from this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. We see again here in verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have at length revived your concern for me, right? So what we see here is that Paul is grateful for the idea of community in the situation that he's in. You remember Paul's in prison writing this letter in the church at Philippi, the church that he planted, and they have sent this man Epaphroditus to him with provision for him, but also just for the idea of community. And Paul says, I rejoice greatly in that. He didn't rejoice necessarily in the things, the provisions that were made by the church at Philippi. He says, I rejoice that you have revived your concern for me. So two things. He rejoices first that the work, the Lord has done this work in them. He doesn't rejoice in the church at Philippi. He rejoices in the Lord. Their concern was stirred up by the Lord. So he rejoices in the Lord, but most importantly, he rejoices that they are there. Not that they brought things with him, but the, this idea of Christian community in this time of need for Paul, he rejoices over their concern for him. This doesn't mean what they brought. This means the fact that they are there, that they love him, that they thought of him. And it's a gift from the Lord. 
He says next, he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This is an entire sermon unto itself that I'm not going to get too deep into, but here's what we would hear in that. He, basically what Paul is saying is, I know that you've loved me even though you haven't been able to come to me until now. I know you wanted to, but for whatever reason you couldn't, right? He doesn't tell us why. The other sermon would be something to the effect is how many of us in here would say that we quite often fall into the category of opportunity but lack the desire rather than having the desire but lacking the opportunity, right? But what we see in the church of Philippi is they had all the desire, but they lacked opportunity until now, but the Lord had provided this opportunity for them to bring things for Paul, to care for Paul, but most importantly, the gift that Paul rejoices greatly in is the gift of community. It's God's people. It's God's people in a difficult circumstance. Paul was grateful for the gift of God's church, and we here today should also Rejoice greatly in the Lord that we are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God to his people. We know that Paul is really rejoicing over the idea of Christian community. Because if we're coming out of verse 10 into verse 11, we see Paul kind of make this pivot. So he tells them that he's greatly rejoicing greatly in the Lord because of their concern for them. But then he says the very interesting thing. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. There's this thing that says, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much that the Lord revived your concern for me. But I don't want you to think that I have any need at all, which is a very odd statement. Paul is sitting in a prison cell. There could be any number of things that Paul actually needs, right? You and I would be thinking, I need to get out of here, right? I need for whatever's happening to go away. He probably needed food. He probably needed water. He probably needed clothes. He might have probably needed a blanket. Lots of things we could think of Paul needed, but Paul makes a point to say very quickly, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul says, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm glad you're here. I rejoice in the Lord, but I am not complaining. You see, he doesn't want to come across as being in need, as being a beggar, as being any, of them having anything that he needs outside of what he already has sitting in that prison cell. And that really brings us to the second half of verse 11 and 12 that I know is the, the bulk, the heart of Paul's teaching in these uh, passages. It says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. These verses tell us the what. Doesn't give us the secret, but it tells us what the secret is about. It's about Christian contentment. The heart of these passages is about how to be content in our lives. And that brings me to the second point, and this is this. Contentment is found in Christ and not in your circumstances. This is what we can learn from Paul. Contentment is found in Christ and not your circumstances. But it's a lesson that we have to learn as a church. Twice in verses 11 and 12, we see Paul use the phrase, I have learned. He says, I have learned that I am to be content, and I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul knows because he's learned. Any of you that know anything, you know it because you learned it. Very few things in life we just know right? Everything we know how to do, everything we know how to be, we have learned how to do it. And Paul is saying here that I have learned how to be content. And as believers, we need to understand the idea that we don't 
just accidentally become content. It's not something that just happens. How many of you would say that you can recognize when you're not content with your circumstances or your possessions, right? All of us. How many of you would also say then, I can instantly change the way I feel based on that? Can you just look at the thing that didn't make you content and go, guess what, I'm not content, so now I'm going to be. No, you can't do that. That's not the way that this works. And the apostle Paul understood that this is the lesson that he had learned, and he understood that lesson better than almost anybody. Remember, Paul was in prison, right? He's writing a letter versus about contentment, about finding contentment, about being content with circumstances from a prison cell. This is written all throughout the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, Paul talks about the circumstances of his missionary journeys, and it says this. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night, excuse me, shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of all my anxiety from the churches. This is from the position that the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Look at who this guy is. This is the same man that in Philippians 1.21, just a few chapters earlier, wrote, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean in that verse? It means I've seen all of this. I've seen everything. I've seen good. I've seen bad. I've been shipwrecked. I've had money. I've had everything. And the one thing I know is that Jesus is better and that's where I find my contentment. Paul's not sitting in an office somewhere writing this as some sort of theological concept that he doesn't understand going, I really hope this works out. It sounds like a good idea for you. I don't know. Paul knew. There was nothing that had happened in any of those verses that said he should be happy or content with any of them. Yet in prison, in Rome, he says, I have learned that I am to be content. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And yet I count them as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Loss of all things. All things. All those things were trash in comparison to knowing Jesus. This is a man that knew that our contentment is found in Christ and not in our circumstances or not in our stuff. What the Apostle Paul knew is what we need to learn is that Jesus doesn't give us the ability to be content in our things or our circumstances. Jesus is the place where we find our contentment. You get that, right? You don't pray to God, God, make me be okay with the stuff that I've got. That's not how it works. What we do is we grow, we pursue, and we become more and more and more and more like Jesus. And as we do, we begin to find our contentment in the person that we're pursuing. And in that, our material possessions and our circumstances fade away and they hold no sway over us because that is not the place where we find the very thing that our soul longs so deeply for. Jesus doesn't want you to be okay with your stuff. Jesus wants you to be content with him. And when you're that, your stuff doesn't matter. 
when I find my contentment in Jesus, my circumstances will never outpace my contentment that I find in him. Author and theologian C.S. Lewis said, human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. This is the history of who we are. Our entire lives spent trying to find something that's gonna make me happy when Jesus is the only thing that will ever bring contentment and happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment, ever. Why do we try so hard? Why do we try so hard to find our contentment in money, in position, in our children, in our work, in our religion, in all the things of this world? We all do it. We all have done it. We probably did it today. I'll surely do it tomorrow. Here's what I know, and here's what you know. It always falls short, every time. Every time it comes up short. And I don't care if I'm living in a, in a season of extreme abundance or if I'm living one in terrible need, it always falls short. Anything that's not Jesus crumbles under the weight of my expectation of contentment because it was never created to be that. One of the... Um, uh, um, can't think of the word now, one of the books that I use, one of the commentaries, there it is, uh, that I read during this uh, when I was studying said this, it said that prosperity and plenty have done more to damage the lives of the church than poverty or persecution ever have. Think about that. Prosperity and plenty have done more to damage the lives of the modern church than poverty or persecution ever have. Contentment is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. If you place it in a person, if you place it in a thing, if you place it in a circumstance, if you place it on, if you view contentment as based on how does my life feel like it's going right now, you're always gonna be in a, in, a, in a season of I don't know what's going to happen next. Nothing satisfies fully, nothing. Now, I'm willing to admit that there are things in this world that provide contentment, right? My favorite restaurant in all the world is Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse the closest ones in Dallas, Texas. If I had to, I could probably tell you exactly how far it is to drive there, how long it takes to get there, all of the things about it, because I love it. I love it very much. Drive into the parking lot makes me happy. So when I get the chance to go, it's me and my wife, and we load in the car and we drive there, and we have conversation and we talk and we get there and we get to sit down and we get to have that nice uh, prime ribeye and we get to have cream spinach and asparagus and bread and dessert and all the things that I love so much and I get to spend an hour or two or three or four or whatever it is with my bride who I love deeply and when I'm done and I'm going home I'm pretty content I feel pretty good life feels like it's a-okay right now but here's what I would tell you tomorrow I'm going to be hungry again. Tomorrow, I'm going to forget how good I felt. Tomorrow's going to have some kind of problem that's going to erase every memory of how content I was just a mere hours ago. Why? As content as I was in that thing, it fades. It's temporary. It always goes away. If I always base my contentment on, if I get this, then. If I get X, then I'll be content. Or, Maybe it's, if I don't get this, I'm not going to be content. I 
Everything apart from Jesus only provides temporary contentment. I don't care how content you feel, how strong that emotion is. It's only temporary. It's fleeting. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the contentment you find in him will be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's made to sustain you through every up and every down, through plenty, through hunger, through need, through abundance. All of it, Jesus is the spot. C.S. Lewis wrote this, he who has Christ in all the world has no more than he who has Christ alone. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus. The, 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 the greatest church answer of all time is, where do you find your contentment? Jesus. I don't need to add anything to it. It is the source of my contentment, and we find that from the Apostle Paul. And here's the great thing, true, true contentment, true contentment functions whether we're in prosperity or whether we're in poverty. It functions whether we're in prosperity or whether we're in poverty. It does so because it's rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finished work. Jesus' work is done. I do not care what happens in five minutes five years or 500 years, Jesus' work is done, it will always be done, and I can place every bit of my hope in that, and in that hope, I find contentment in my soul. I don't know how many sports fans we have in here, especially football, um, but there are certain teams that have a style of play that people, when they get to certain things, will say, that travels, right? It travels. What does that mean? It means whether you're in good weather or bad weather, whether you're playing at altitude or whether you're playing below sea level, doesn't matter where you're playing, doesn't matter the circumstances, your game is gonna be successful, you're gonna be able to do it because it travels. And here's what I would tell you, true contentment that's found in Christ for the believer, it travels. Your circumstances will never dictate how content you are because your contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. Look again at what Paul wrote in verse 12. For I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Look at the language he uses that shows good and bad, high and low, hunger and need. How many of you would say that it's more difficult to find your contentment in Christ when things are going great and you have everything than when they're not and you don't? How many of us look at our lives and go, I've got everything I need? You want to know why I think especially the American church struggles so much with this idea of contentment? It's because we have so many things with which to chase after to put our contentment in. All the things of this world that are put in front of us, all the stuff that the world says, if you get this house, if you get these clothes, if you look like this, if you do this, if you do that, you're going to find happiness. You're going to be content. You're going to be okay. And we chase, and we chase, and we chase, and we pursue the very thing that moves us farther and farther and farther away from the very thing that is actually where we're going to find our contentment because it's not found in anything this world has to offer. It's not one thing in the whole of human existence that's ever been created apart from Jesus Christ that will make you content with your circumstances. Given a long enough timeline, everyone and everything lets you down. My father told me that. In 50 years, it has proven to be true. I have been the person that has proved it to be true so many times. But the one thing I know is that the thing that Paul tells me is my contentment is found in Christ, not my circumstances. 
And you're looking at me going, that's great news. I need to find my contentment in Jesus. Awesome. How do I do that? Right? This is the secret. This is the family secret part. It's not that we're supposed to be content in Christ. I think most believers know that. The secret is how do we do it? How do I find my contentment in Christ alone? And that leads me to point number three, which is this. The secret to finding contentment is trusting in the power of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The secret to finding contentment is trusting in the power of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That brings us to, one of the, like, like I said earlier, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. T-shirts, coffee cups, bumper stickers, tattoos. There, um, we see this verse all over the place, and it is a massively encouraging verse, and we should see it as massively encouraging. But I want us today to understand the reality of what Paul is talking about here. And I, when I was doing my study of this, um, when he says, I can do all things, Paul is not stating I can do everything in the whole of human existence through he who strengthens me. It's not saying I can run this marathon because it's Christ who strengthens me. Wow you do receive encouragement and strength from Christ, right? It's not talking about physical or professional achievement. If you really want to read it correctly, we would probably read it as, I can do all of these things through him who strengthens me. And if we look back to what these things are, these things are learning how to abound and learning how to struggle, learning how to suffer, learning how to face hunger, learning how to face need, learning all those things. It's not us achieving something, It's I can do all of these things. I can do the things that Christ has called me to do. Paul is saying I can be in prison and be content because of he who strengthens me. I can be shipwrecked. For you today, I can walk through this diagnosis with contentment because I find my contentment in the eternal person of Jesus Christ, not in the temporary circumstances of this world. I can deal with this change in my job or this loss of my job or this financial struggle because I place my faith and my hope and I find my contentment in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not in the circumstances that are temporary of this world. Jesus doesn't provide us with supernatural confidence in our less than supernatural abilities so that we can do the things that we want to do. Jesus provides us with his supernatural power in our worldly weakness. And that's where we find our contentment because we see the power of Christ working in our life. We see God's power carry us through things we could never imagine that we know we don't have the power for. And as we see him do this over and over and over again, as we see God navigate our hearts to this point of contentment, not because we care what happens in the world, because we do care, and it is painful, and I never want to diminish the struggle and the suffering of this world, but here's what I will tell you, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it is the power of Christ that allows you to walk through it. That's how you're able to be content. That's the secret. The secret's not that we should find contentment in Christ, it's how we do it. I read one thing that said Christian contentment is an attitude or disposition of quiet and complete surrender to God's sovereign decisions about your life. True contentment is a display of divine supernatural strength. True contentment is a display of divine supernatural strength. 
get that? We don't have the ability of our own power to be truly content. We don't have it. Not the ability. Because if we're working on our own power, it's always gonna require something out there to be better than the thing that we have now, right? We're moving into the Christmas season. I went to the mall. I needed your prayers yesterday. I was at the mall with my wife and one of my children, and we were talking about Christmas. You wanna know the opposite of finding contentment in Christ is children's Christmas lists. It's the opposite of finding contentment. But here's what I know, and we, you all have seen it throughout your life. No matter what I buy them, no matter how new it is, no matter how cool it is, no matter how awesome it is, in five minutes, it's either gonna be broken, busted, or they're tired of it. And somehow we think we get better with age. We don't. All the things that we pursue in this life, five minutes after we get them, we want the next thing. And we want to do what we want to do. And so many times we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When what we mean is, I need Christ to strengthen me so I can do the things that I want to do. And I can look good doing it. And that's not what this says. As we surrender our lives to God, and as we surrender our will to God, we experience the power of Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is how we learn true contentment. We learn contentment in Christ as we experience Christ's power in our lives. We learn contentment as we experience Christ's power in our lives. We don't get to be strong, strong enough to live a life that's honoring of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And in the very preceding verses, Paul had had a discussion, shall we say, with the Lord where he said, there's some sort of physical ailment or something going on. He said, I want you to please, he said three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would remove this thorn from me. Then we get to verse nine and God said this, God said, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul goes on to write, or God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response to that is, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is Paul saying, I can never be strong enough to deal with things that have to be strengthened by the power of Christ. It's Paul's obedience in his pursuit of Jesus is where he found the strength to do the thing that God had called him to. So often in life, we try to find our contentment, our happiness, our joy in things that are apart from Christ. And you know what we do when we do that? We pursue the things that are gonna give me more of that. Do you wanna know why we work and work and work and work for things that we don't need, things that'll never make us happy, things that'll never last? It's because we think that's where we find happiness, so we have to work harder to get more things. And when I get more things, they don't make me happy, so I work harder so I can get more things that are gonna make me happy that don't make me happy so that I can work harder until I come to the end of it all and I look around at all my stuff and I go, I'm no happier today than I was before I had any of this. I have no more contentment now than I did before I had any of it. When what we should be doing is what Paul did. It's pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. And in our pursuit of the person of Jesus Christ, we feel the filling and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in that filling and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we see the power of Christ working in our life. And in that, we recognize what true contentment looks like. It is something that our soul recognizes. 
Your soul recognizes when the power of Christ is at work in your life and you can find true contentment in that. And when you find true contentment and happiness in that, what does that do to you? It prompts you to pursue him more and more and more. And the more you pursue, the more he gives, the more contentment you find, and we go on a much better roller coaster ride than the other one we were on. Paul's happiness, Paul's gladness in 2 Corinthians, he's not happy or glad because he's struggling. Paul's never happy or glad because he was shipwrecked or because he was beaten or because he was thrown out of this or because he was put in prison or because he slept on the ground and he was cold and he didn't have food and he didn't have anything he needed. None of that is why Paul was happy. Paul was happy because he was pursuing obedience to the one he loved more than anything and in that is where he found his contentment. And when he found his contentment there, all that other stuff suddenly didn't matter. It didn't matter anymore. He didn't have to worry about it. I go back to the Philippians 121, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, I've seen it all and Jesus is better. So if you leave me here, I'm gonna pursue the one where I find my contentment. If you kill me, even better because I get to go be with, be with him. Either way, this world has nothing to hold over my head. Has nothing I need. That's why you go back to the beginning of Philippians 10. He says, not that I want you to think that I'm in need. I know the secret to Christian contentment. I find my contentment in Jesus Christ and him alone. If I could wrap it all up into one sentence, it would be this. Confidence in the power of Christ leads to contentment that is found in Christ, which provides endurance for the mission of Christ. Confidence in the power of Christ leads contentment that was found in Christ, which provides endurance for the mission of Christ. We only truly get to acknowledge that our contentment is, is rooted in Jesus when we experience the power of Jesus in our lives. That's why when Paul says, I can, do all, I can do all things, it's I can do all of the things that Christ wants me to do through him who strengthens me. Because you know what we can't do? We'll never achieve the thing God calls us to apart from his power, ever. It's undoable. If New Beginnings wants to be a church that fulfills the mission that God has given it, we have to be a church that experiences the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we will find the contentment that our heart so deeply longs for. I, I, I believe, I know, I know it's true for me, and if it's true for my heart, then it's true for your heart because we have the same heart. That what we really long for is contentment is the ability to look beyond our circumstances and base our life in something that is much bigger and much greater than we are. Something that's never gonna rust or fade or break. Something that there's never gonna be anything newer or better. Something that never seems old or out of date. Something that is true. There is a, a fixed point of reference that we long for, that we wanna be content in. We don't, there's nothing enjoyable about the chase that we put our lives through. And even when we get all the things that we have, even in plenty, we still can't look to Jesus for our contentment when we realize that there is no such thing as contentment in this world apart from Christ. As I finished writing the sermon, I began to think about the people in my life, um, family members and uh, 
friends, family, people that I know that are, that are, that are far from Jesus, that are apart from him. And I, I began, my heart began to break over the idea that they are chasing and chasing and chasing something that will never provide the very thing that they're looking for. That every action they take is begging for it to be fixed. Everything they buy, everything they do, everything they chase is longing for this moment to go, can you make it better? Can you just fix me? Can I just feel better? Can I just be more than who I am right now? Because regardless of what it looks like out there, when I look in the mirror, I'm not content with who this is. So I gotta work harder, I gotta be better, I gotta smile more, all the things. And their life is crumbling under the weight because there is no contentment to be found in that. They've got the wrong key and they're putting it into the wrong lock and it's leading to nothing. The illustration I use so many times when I talk about things like this is um, uh, having keys made to your home or different keys for different things. And the more we buy keys, the more the keys begin to look the same, right? They just, you get a key ring with a bunch of keys, you don't know which one's which if you don't mark them. And how many times have I walked up to a front door of my home and the, it's dark out and I grab my keychain and I look at the keys and I see a key and it looks like the key. And I put that key in the lock and I turn it and nothing, right? It looked like the key. It fit in the lock even. It, going in, it felt like it was gonna do it. And I turned it and nothing. And then I grab the other key and I, and I put it in there and, I, and nothing. And I keep working my way through the keys until I finally find the right key. That right key looked like the other keys. It slid into the lock like the other keys. It felt the same as the other keys, but the only difference was that key unlocked the lock. It unlocked the lock. If you're in the room today and you're far from God, here's what I would tell you. You have not got any key in your life that will unlock the lock to the contentment of your heart. You were created, created with a space in you that is intended solely for your creator. And I and everyone else in here that's a believer spent much of our lives trying to put keys into that lock that never worked, whether it was the key of money or of success or of addiction or of church or of religion or of our kids or all the things in the world, food, all the things in the world that we say, please let that be the key that unlocks the, the lock that my heart desires, which is to be content with, my, with life. Never works. It's always the wrong key. And they will always fail, and it will always let you down 100% of the time, every time, I promise you. There's one thing, and one thing alone, that in all of my years of, of being a believer has never let me down. Through the worst of moments and through the best of times, the person of Jesus has always been the thing that never, ever, ever lets me down. It always satisfies. When I'm in the deepest pit, I can close my eyes and envision the glory of God and be content to know that one day I'll walk with Him. When I'm at my happiest, 
I can with joy recognize and be happy in the moment, understanding that happiness doesn't have to last forever and sustain me forever because I belong to the one who does that. How many moments in your life you ruin because you have an eternal expectation of something that's only meant to provide temporal happiness? If we have eternal confidence in the one that is eternally satisfying, then we can be happy in the temporary moments because that's all they're ever supposed to be. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus and you want contentment, if you're in a stage in your life you go, I just, I just wanna be okay. Jesus Christ is the way to contentment. The only way to find contentment in him and to experience his power is to know him. Only Christ will satisfy. And if you're in here and you don't know him, I would, it would be the honor of my life to have a conversation with you about how you can find satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ, how you can stop chasing things that will never satisfy and forever have the only thing that does. If you're a believer in here today, we have to repent. We have to repent of the things that we put in front of God of the things that we so desperately chase and ask to fulfill us and give us contentment. We have to beg God for the filling of his Holy Spirit to experience his power in our lives and that we would find contentment in him because in that we're gonna pursue the mission. What's the mission of New Beginnings? To be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. Do you know what the ever-restoring life is? The ever-restoring life is contentment found in Christ. And only when we sweep everything else out of the way and walk in that are we able to chase the mission of God. So if you're a believer in here today, then you need to seek the face of God and ask him to show you the areas of your life that are woefully in need of redirection, of reorientation, and that our hearts would be drawn uh, to God and his majesty and his glory and the power of Jesus, and that we would find our deepest contentment in him. Don't leave here carrying out baggage that you brought in. It's unnecessary. And it will prevent you from experiencing contentment in Jesus. So I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done, we're gonna sing. And there'll be staff up front. And they would love to pray with you, pray for you. This altar is open. One of the pillars of our church has become prayer. You don't need me to pray for you, but I'm honored to. But what God asks of us is that we would humbly posture ourselves before him and ask him to do the very things that we can't do. Sometimes that means coming up here and just getting on our knees and saying, God, I've put everything else in front of you and I'm still longing for the very thing that you offered me. So if you need, if you need to know Jesus, come up here and let us pray with you and talk to you. If you just need to repent, and ask God to open your heart to the contentment only found in him, this altar will be open. Father, we love you. I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for the message, Lord. I'm grateful for the thing that you've spoken into my heart, God. I'm thankful that you have provided the only thing that your people will ever need to find satisfaction, fulfillment, salvation, and contentment, God. And that's Jesus, Lord. And I'm so grateful for him.
I'm thankful for your church, Lord, for what it means to me, for the encouragement that they are, God. I pray that as we sing and worship, God, that you would fill our hearts with joy, gladness, and thankfulness for all that you have provided for us, God. And let us walk out of here forever changed, singing your praises of the one who is holy, of the one who is worthy, of the one who provides all the contentment I could ever need. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you, Lord. I ask you to pay your favor out on your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. As you look up, stand up, let's worship and respond.